Um, we mentioned over the last few weeks, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I talked about our vision for pl- church planting and for having a family uh, of churches that have the same DNA and all of that. And the reason we're going to be doing that, the reason we're going to move into this, and there's all sorts of implications to this, is simply because we believe God spoke to us. Uh, and we just want to be obedient. It's not because we believe we're the answer. Not, it's not because we believe we'll church plant better than anyone else. We haven't got a clue. Uh, but because we really believe that God is speaking to us and calling us. And just to say, for me personally, when we finish the festivals, because uh, um, I'm going to be 63 in March, uh, you know, I was like very, very, very happy uh, that I would just slow down a bit and uh, move into a gentle semi-retirement. I was looking forward to my garden and to reading more and praying more and, and just slowly handing over responsibilities. never stopping. You never retire from serving Jesus, uh, but just, just having more space. And I was very content with that. But I tell you, I'm all fired up and it comes quite a shock. Um, and I'm really fired up because I really believe God has said, and it feels like when we started the church uh, 28 years ago, and we started the festivals 28, 29 years ago, the church, I think, and it was like, I've no idea, we've no idea what to do, but we know you've spoken. And I remember thinking, we are out of our depth. We don't know what to do, but our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. And you will sustain us and you will lead us and you will speak to us and we will make mistakes and we will get things wrong. But you are bigger than our mistakes. And it feels the same. It feels the same. So uh, there's not going to be any semi-early-ish part retirement or anything like that. And we are committed together, Andy and I and the team, the whole team, to serve Jesus over this next season. We always were, but it's, it's becoming much more honed. And we're going to talk about it more uh, over the coming weeks and months, and especially when we get back together. But as part of this, uh, we just want to continue looking at our values, because if we're going to plant churches, it's actually really important, if we want them to have the same DNA, uh, that we know what the DNA is. Uh, in, in a family, if a baby's born, it has the DNA. Uh, but in a, in a church, sometimes you have to actually spell it out as well as live it out. Because to spell it out enables you to live it out. And uh, today, I just want to look at our number one value. Our number one value as a church that it was at the very beginning and it is now and it always will be. Um, is intimacy with God. We want to be a church that above all else pursues God. We want to be lovers before we are workers. We want to know, we want everyone in our church to know that they are loved and adored by their creator and their father and their saviour and their friend uh, because that is the basis on which everything else rests. What are we talking about when we say intimacy? Uh, When we've talked sometimes about intimacy in worship, sometimes the shorthand has been uh, singing really slow songs semi-acoustically. That's not what we mean. 
uh, intimacy in worship as well as intimacy in the whole of our relationship with God is, is about adoration. Is When it comes to worship in song, it's singing songs to him rather than about him. It's singing songs that are about him rather than about us. I'll get really tired singing songs about me, about what I think, what I feel, what I'm going to do, how I'm hanging on, how I'm victorious or I'm not victorious, how I'm going to be more than... I I don't want to sing about me. I'm tired of me. I want to sing about him and I want to sing it to him And because he is worthy. He is the centre. It is him And, and constantly... We want to check ourselves, but it's more than when we sing. Intimacy is about how we live. It's about being a people who who pursue relationship with him. We want to pursue a deep love relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And if if there's a key verse, there are a number of verses. It's all over the scripture. It is this, what David says in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing, he says, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only, this only, this is the one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's it. That's our one thing. That's our main thing. Uh, when I was uh, a young youth worker, and I was young once, at St Andrew's Chorley Wood, not far from here, uh, David Pitches uh, used to get asked regularly, uh, where are we going? What's our vision? And I love his reply. His reply was always, we're not going anywhere. We're staying here to worship the Lord, as we've always done. Now, he didn't quite mean we're not going to have any you know, a a vision to do things because it was an activist church. But the activism came from relationship. The activism, we come alive when we love. When we love, we get energy. When we know we are loved, we get confidence. So our one thing is is to seek him, is to seek to dwell in, in where he is forever to gaze on his beauty, adoration, worship, and to seek him, to seek him with all our hearts. And how do we do that? There's a lovely, I'm reading a great book, uh, and some of what I'm saying is nicked from that book, unashamedly, by Dane Ortland. I can't remember the name of the book, but he's the author. Um, And here's a little quote. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus moves towards, touches, heals, embraces and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. I'm going to say it again, even though you can play it back on YouTube. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus moves towards, touches, heals, embraces and forgives who? Those who least deserve it and yet truly desire it. As I read that, the penny dropped at a deeper level. You know, there are certain people, King David in the Old Testament, he least deserved what he just prayed in Psalm 27 verse 4. He he was an adulterer and a murderer. 
He had little temper tantrums. I mean, in his worship, he was saying to God to kill people. And all of that stuff. He least deserved it, but he most desired it. He desired to be in God's presence. And that's what God looks for. Why does he look for it? Because he is kind. Because he is gentle. Because he is merciful. And he doesn't impose himself. He, he, he does not impose himself on us. So the next question is, how do we truly desire? We all have times where we think, you know, I, I don't particularly desire right now. And sometimes it's because we're tired. Sometimes it's because we've got spiritually cold. Sometimes it's because there's sin in our lives that gets in the way. Sometimes it's because we're full of worry and anxiety and fear. There's all sorts of reasons, but we don't desire. Sometimes we don't desire him and we don't desire intimacy with him. Sadly, this is the hardest bit, because we're satisfied with our lives. God doesn't come to fill the already satisfied. He comes to satisfy the hungry with good things. He comes to, he comes to fill those who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are longing. And so the first thing we, we have to do is to recognise our poverty. He comes to those who recognise their poverty, not who are the self-satisfied. And what I love is he loves to come. He loves to come. He's the God who pursues. And the second thing is he comes, he comes, we, we truly desire when we have a revelation of his majesty. One, when we recognise our poverty, but two, when we have a revelation of his majesty, how wonderful he is. Jesus came to institute his kingdom on earth, not in its fullness. When he comes again at the second coming, it'll be in its fullness, but we live in a foretaste of the future. We live, we're a kingdom people. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near you. The kingdom of heaven is among you. And many of his parables, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like this. Now, if, if we're a, to be a kingdom people, we need to understand there can be no kingdom without a king or a queen. No kingdom. And there can be no king without a coronation. And there can be no coronation without both a crown and a throne. That's how it works. In 1953, and if you're watching from another country, forgive me for this little bit of English history. In 1953, Elizabeth was crowned Queen of the United Kingdom. She's still here, amazingly. And she was crowned at Westminster Abbey. And she sat on St Edward's throne. It was the throne for her coronation. And she was crowned with St Edward's crown, a really heavy crown that, was, that is priceless. It's part of the crown jewels. And that was the moment when she officially became sovereign she officially became queen. Every kingdom has a king and every king has a coronation and every coronation has a throne and a crown. So we believe in King Jesus. So what is his throne? 
Where was the throne on which he was crowned? Right now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory. And what was the crown with which he was crowned? His throne was his cross. And his crown was a crown of thorns. His throne was the cross. He, what humility, what, you know, when, when, our queen was, was crowned. It was pop and pomp, pop, pomp and circumstance. It was everything. It was, and you see it. And uh, in those days when the Caesars were crowned, it was huge. How did, how did the king of the universe, how did he choose to have his coronation on a criminal's cross outside the city of Jerusalem? It is amazing. Jesus was elevated on a cross with nails in his hands and feet. And his crown was a crown of thorns. The crown of thorns was his glory. St. Edward's crown was Elizabeth's glory. He chose a crown of thorns. And one empire... Um, you know, empires are usually established through, through conquest and, and, and power. His empire was what established through conquest, but it was established through meekness as well as majesty. Our empires are usually established through human power grasped. His was established through divine power surrendered. And it's all folks listen to this why is this important because we want to magnify Jesus it's all in the crown his glory is in the crown the crown of thorns when Adam fell we read in Genesis 3 sin was followed by a curse God said in Genesis 3 cursed is the ground because of you it will produce thorns and thorns and thistles for you. That was the curse, thorns and thistles. You will labor to toil the fields. This is the, this is the fruit of sin. This is the fruit of, of letting go of the tree of life. This is the fruit of living in independence, thorns and thistles. When he was crowned, it was a crown of thorns and thistles. Our curse became his glory. He was crowned with our curse so we might be crowned with his glory. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? That's what it's about. So, so what is he like? What is he like? I just want to, I just want to, if we want to know what he's like, the first place we look is the cross. And I just want to say here, Andy and I, we've been talking uh, a lot recently about our, 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 the most important thing we can ever preach is Christ and him crucified. Christianity is not about self-help. It's not about five steps to live a better life. It's about seeing Jesus. And we see him in his life and supremely in his death. And that's what we're trying to do today because that's when we see him, we love him. When we see him, we love him. 
we read in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Are you weary and burdened? I'm weary. We're, we're all a little bit burdened, many of us. Well, he invites us. He invites us, come to me. It's for you. This is for the weary and the burdened. And I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I love this, for I am gentle and humble. Another translation for humble is lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the one time, it's the one time when Jesus tells us about his heart. It's the one time about the deepest, the, the deepest part of him, as it were, the, the greatest characteristic of who he is. And he describes himself, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That's it. He is by his nature, at the core of his being, his love is gentle and humble, lowly. And you will find, that's why we can find rest, rest for our souls, not just for our bodies. And then when he says, for my yoke is easy, and the Greek word that is translated easy is translated in other places as kind. So you could say, for my yoke is kind and my burden is light. In those days, if you wanted uh, to toil a till a field you would you would put an, an ox's an ox in a yoke and and the ox would 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 carry the um um the, the thing that that tills the field I can't remember what it's called now but the, the, yeah the yoke and and till the field and he says he says my yoke is easy it's kind and my burden is like that means his yoke is not really a yoke, is what he's saying. It's easy, it's kind. And his burden is not a burden. It's light. He's using that illustration to say, hey, hey, I'm not like you think I am. That's why you can come to me. Come, because I am gentle. Because I'm gentle of heart. Now, one of the things that that can stop us from coming to him. And I want to look at some of the things that stops, is we misunderstand this stuff. And one of the things we misunderstand is, I don't know about you, but I've often thought, oh my goodness, Jesus is so amazing. He's so perfect. He's so pure. Why would he want to look at me? He must look at me thinking, oh, that pill of Archie, he's not like me. I'm so pure. Mm, I'm so perfect. I'm so all-knowing. A little bit like I think of Andy, you know, I, sometimes I, I, I look at Andy and I feel sorry because I'm intellectual and he's not, uh, because I'm sophisticated, he's not, because I'm good looking, because um, I'm well built and He's a bit of a stick insect. You know, I can look at him and I can think, oh, he's all right, but 
I look down a bit on him because we do, you know, we, we think that, that rich people will look down a little bit on poor people, that the, the intellectuals will despise the people that aren't very, very intelligent, that, that the good looking will notice those who don't quite look like them. And we think that God is like that. God is the opposite of that. Jesus runs towards he runs towards the broken, the weak. He runs towards the despised. He runs towards, he likes being with us. He likes it. He longs for it. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely little quote again. The solution to uncleanness in the Old Testament is not taking a bath, but offering a sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, for those that were unclean, they, 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 would offer a, they would offer a sacrifice. And do you know, for un, our uncleanliness, Jesus himself is the one perfect sacrifice. He offered himself to make the unclean clean. And in the Old Testament, we read that, that those that were, were unclean, if they touched anyone who was clean they would make that person unclean. And yet, in the life of Jesus, and remember, Jesus is the supreme revelation of what God is like. In the life of Jesus, we see that he touched the unclean, and instead of becoming unclean, he made them clean. He reversed it. And the thing about Jesus is... If you look at it, he physically touched them. He reached out and touched them. The lepers, um, uh, those who were broken in all sorts of ways, uh, those who were suffering with bleeding, uh, the, all the unclean, he touched them. He went towards them. He sought them out. It was his delight, his delight to come to them. This, my friends, this, my friends, is what he is like. He is pure, but he gravitates to the impure. He is strong, and he searches out the weak. Just imagine with me, imagine that there was a pandemic in our world, and imagine that there was a brilliant scientist, stroke doctor, who was very wealthy, and he invested all his riches, all his money, in finding a vaccine for the pandemic. Imagine if he invested all his time, every spare moment, and then he, he found the vaccine, he developed the vaccine, and then he went to people, he said, look, I can vaccinate you from this disease, and you can be cleansed. Imagine if he did that, and then some pe people said, no, thank you, but you might be a quack. I'm not sure if I want that. You know what, I'll, I'll, I'll get healed my own way. Then imagine if after a while some of them changed their minds and came to him and said, okay, we'll take your vaccine. He would be utterly delighted. He would be overjoyed, overjoyed. And he would, it would be like, this is what I came for. This is why, this is why I did all this, so that you would take the vaccine. And that's Jesus, even more, even more than any scientist. It's the whole reason he came. It's the whole reason he came. 
And we need to understand that we're not just those he loves from a distance, we're those he loves close. We're his body, it says in the scripture. His very body. We are now part of him. And and do you know, how does Jesus treat his body? It says in Ephesians about a husband, he nourishes and cherishes his body, a man. And even more so Jesus. Ephesians 5, 29 and 30. How do we care for a wounded body part? I'll tell you, we nurse it. We bandage it. We protect it. We give it time to heal. For that body part isn't just a close friend. It is part of us. If you are wounded, if you are weak, if you are broken, you're part of his body. And so he will nurse you. He will bandage you. He will protect you. And he will give you time to heal. It's very interesting that when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church and murdering Christians, in Acts 9 verse 4, the Lord spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute my people? He said, why do you persecute me? He identifies completely. And as I begin to come into land, one more, one more amazing scripture. This is from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. And that phrase, feel sympathy, doesn't mean feel sorry for our weaknesses. It means he carries our weaknesses. He feels our weaknesses as if they are his own. He enters into our weaknesses. In the Greek, it's much stronger than our word sympathy. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what? We have a high priest. In the Old Testament, the kings represented God to the people. The king was God's representative. But the priest, the high priest, was the people's representative to God. Jesus is both king and high priest. He represents God to us and us to God. And it says he sympathises with our weaknesses. If you're weak, he, he carries it, he feels it, he owns it, he owns it. He doesn't look from a distance, he shares it and he delights to. You know, as I read the Gospels, I'm amazed. He, he gravitated, he gravitated towards the broken people. He gravitated to the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman at the well, Zacchaeus up the tree, and so on and so on and so on. He went for them, the people who least deserved it, but most desired it, rather than the self-satisfied. And so, 
we can, understanding this, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is why intimacy with God is our highest value. If we get this right, we get everything else right. Because he is the one who seeks us. Just listen, and I land with this. In Jesus' great high priestly prayer, in John 17, verse 24, he says, he prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Do you know, he's praying to the Father that I, Mike Pilavachi, might be with him where he is. The reason he came is that Mike Pilavachi might spend eternity with him. He wants that. He wants me. And he wants you. If we understand this, we'll run around in joy. We'll shout and scream and, I don't know, take off our clothes and, and bang things and just climb up walls. We won't go, oh yeah, if we really understand it. He came for you. He came for me. He brings me, I bring him joy. Amazing. And do you know when I'm weak, when I'm broken, when I'm struggling, what does it mean he was tempted in every way as we are? Are you feeling lonely? He was alone. He knows. Are you feeling exhausted? He was exhausted. He knows. Have you been betrayed by people you trusted? He was betrayed. He knows. He knows in every way, in every way. So he understands us and he loves us and he is fully committed to us. And I want for the rest of my days to pursue this amazing God because that's where I'll find my heart's true home. And we want to be the church that lives from that place, that loves from that place, that plants other churches and, re and brings life to other churches where we can serve, uh, serve them in any way we can. We want to be servants because he served us. That's it. I wish I could have done a better job but it's the best I can do. But his truth is his truth. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to spend just a few moments just waiting on him. And I want to pray. I want to pray that we really, really, from the bottom of our hearts, know this God. Hey, and I'll say it one more time, our curse. He was crowned with our curse his crown was not full of jewels, it was full of thorns. He was crowned with our curse so that we might be crowned with his glory. What a God. You couldn't make it up.